0: Hey everyone Liam here and welcome back to the Tennis Section podcast really glad to be back here and you know what there's a lot to talk about we always have a Wimbledon recap a lot of stuff happened there we all know about that uh, we're looking forward to you know both the ATP and the WTA side of things in the Wimbledon recap and then we'll look at some of the things coming up in the in the ATP and WTA tour in the next month or so um there's a lot to talk about so let's dive right into it before we get into it if you enjoy our videos on the channel please like and subscribe it really helps us create a tennis section community i'm heading over to the us open this year for the first eight days so i'm going to be bringing you guys so much content onto the channel i'm going to be filming daily vlogs more content some reels some tiktoks everything and anything there's so much content to be made over there and i'm excited to bring you guys along for the journey first up let's talk about the big upsets that happened early on in Wimbledon, obviously, there's mainly two major ones that happened. I would say is obviously the first round loss for Felix Auger-Aliassime against Michael Moe. I mean, back to back years for first round losses for Felix Auger-Aliassime. He's falling down the rankings. You know, I made a video last year towards the end of the year saying my top 10 predictions for this year, and I had predicted him falling out of the top 10 and people and saying Yannick Sinner would come into the top 10. And people in the comments were very against that idea, especially after the off the back of those three amazing weeks that Felix had towards the end of last year. But... You know what, it's starting to prove a little bit too true for my liking to be quite honest because I really like watching Felix play at his best and he's not been playing at his best at all this year. He's obviously had injuries and, you know, not been actually physically fit as much as he would have liked to due to those injuries. But also some of it is a bit mental, I think. His serve has not been as good as it was towards the end of last year and because of that you know his then defensive he's straight on the defensive as soon as he gets into a point on his serve and it's not really too going too well for him and when he is on the attack he's making a lot of unforced errors. He did lose to Michael Moe. That's a very shocking first round loss but another shocking loss happened in the second round where casper Rude lost in five sets from two sets to one up against uh Liam Brody losing the last set, the fifth set, six love. He got bageled in the last set he was also seeming a bit injured here and there in that in the fourth and fifth set. But to be honest, he really shouldn't be losing these sorts of matches early on, especially after you've made a final of a Grand Slam, you know, making your third Grand Slam final. You should be sort of being a bit more consistent. I've seen statistics everywhere that obviously he, the last six slams he's played, he's done final, second round, final, second round, final, second round. And it's just, you know, it's consistency. I guess it's a, it's a, you could say it's a good thing, but... It's not what you want to see from, uh, you know, the number four in the world, I believe, or maybe the number three. Um... It's going to be tough for him, I think, coming into the hardcourt season to replicate what he did, especially at the U.S. Open last year. But you know what? He can definitely do some good stuff. You know, he's currently playing on clay. I mean, it's Casper Ruud season back to the ATP 250s. But going towards the the U.S. hardcourt swing, he needs to really find a lot of momentum earlier on than the U.S. Open to get some ranking points under his belt to make sure that, you know, even if he doesn't go as far as he did last year at the U.S. Open, he's still got that bit of a cushion. Another loss that I was a bit disappointed with at the uh, at Wimbledon in, in the early rounds was Dominic Team losing to Stefanos Tsitsipas in five sets. I mean, I think Team could have won that match. I think Tsitsipas, you know, if if that match didn't get postponed due to the rain delays, I think Team probably would have done a, had a better opportunity to win it. But Tsitsipas showed great composure in the big moments and was just playing very well, especially in that fifth set. Um, I think it was a similar situation to that pass murray match. Murray had a lot of the momentum, and if the match hadn't gotten stopped, he would have had a much better opportunity to win it. But pass when they came back, maintained his composure and really showed us, you know what, he's here to play some good tennis. But he did allow for a resurgence or, let's say, a new wave for a, a player in uh, Christopher Eubanks when uh, pass lost to uh, Eubanks in the fourth round, actually. Um Eubanks has been playing some exceptional tennis I believe he's now number 31 in the world he's I think something that's really like surprised me about Eubanks is his his increasing self-belief I mean over the last few months he's believed more in himself I think watching Eubanks in the past years you just knew that in his head he wasn't confident enough to say okay well I belong here I you know I deserve this or I can really get this done but now he's really going for it he's like he doesn't care if he makes a mistake he'll go for it and he and that's why he got that record at Wimbledon where you know he's the, the the most winners in it in an entire Wimbledon tournament for one person surpassing Agassi you know he really went for it and you know what he played extremely well he got super close to making the semi-final super close but after being two sets to one up against Daniel Medvedev he did not manage to win it in five. Medvedev was playing some amazing tennis, and you know what? Eventually, his his luck ran out. Well, you couldn't say, can't say luck. Realistically, he played amazing, amazingly. But you know what? The once he lost that fourth set against Medvedev, I think he let himself go a little bit because he so much pressure had built up inside of him mentally and physically, having played so much good tennis even before Wimbledon, winning Mallorca. Um, but you know what? Hats off to Christopher Eubanks. He's been playing some great tennis. Another player who's played some great tennis at Wimbledon, but didn't go too too far, is Matteo Berrettini. We didn't really know what to expect of him coming into Wimbledon. I mean, personally, I was I was expecting him to lose maybe first round or second round. But you know what? Against Lorenzo Sonego, great match. Against Alex Demenoff, even better match. Against Alexander Zverev, even better match. I mean, he kept improving and improving and improving. His serve is it's just deadly when it's on fire his serve is deadly and it, the great thing about his serve is that even his second serve per se is good enough that it when it gets returned it's usually short so he can come in for a plus one and he did that very well but obviously in the fourth round he came up against Carlos Alcaraz, and we all know with Carlos Alcaraz how hard it is to really you know get yourself anything going at the moment you know that Djokovic struggled imagine Matteo Berrettini and we saw that Um, so yeah those are the early sort of round losses and some names that really shocked me by going you know doing better than I thought they did here at Wimbledon now let's talk about some of the matches later on I would say in Wimbledon we know we've had some of the likes of uh, you know Alina's Vitalina playing some amazing tennis. We've had Igor Zviantec finding her way on grass a little bit more, but obviously not going too, too far. Uh, we had Huber Herkak showing some good tennis, and we had Marketa Vondrosseva and Angeber. Let's start first with Alina's Vitalina. I mean, she played some amazing tennis the whole, the whole event. She was really good. Like Every time you would watch one of her matches, she was really going for it, first of all. Served, forehand, backhand doesn't matter she was going for winners and she was hitting the ball quite flat which worked i think for mo- the majority of the event because most of the players she came up against were giving her more top spin looping balls which allowed her to really sort of get that timing going have the ball where she wanted it and go for the shot but you know and, and it allowed her to beat the likes of Igor viontek in, in in the quarterfinals i mean viontek played some amazing tennis throughout the entire event but when it came to lina Vitalina she just took all the time away from, from Iga. And it's great to see, you know, after her, you know, after giving birth, after being away from the tour for so long that she's come back and she's really made it made a statement. You know what? That she she belongs here. She could really, you know, keep it up after everything that she's had to go through. And it's great to see. I mean, I believe in the ranking. She's back up to like number 31 or something in the world, which not not having played in over like a year and, and being unranked is a very good a very good thing to happen, um, and yeah, it's great for the WT Tour to have her back. But in that Marketa Vondrousova uh, semi-final, you could tell the pressure. She had a real opportunity there to make the final, and I believe she was uh, she put too much pressure on herself. I think she she knew she looked at the, the draw that was remaining, and she was like, "Oh, I could really make the semi-final. I could really make the final here and have a chance at it, my first ever Grand Slam title." But I think that was a bit too much for her mentally, especially right now. Um, and Vendrosova was obviously just on fire as well I mean it was great to see that Vendrosova as I said earlier was not the type of player to give her high looping and balls that sit perfectly in a hitting zone she was giving her extremely flat shots as well so she couldn't so Elina Zvitalina could not give it back as much as she could take it so it was it was a it was a bit of a Bit of a difficult situation for her, but you know what? It set up one of the uh, one of the most anticipated, I'd say, finals on the WT side in a while just because we were going to have a first-time Grand Slam champion in, you know, either Anjabal or Maketa Vendrosova. Obviously, Vendrosova unranked, trying to get revenge for last year making back-to-back wimbledon finals she had played incredibly well coming into the final coming back from a set down against elena Rybakina in the quarterfinals i was at that match so if you want to check out the vlog of my quarterfinals uh, of my quarterfinals journey at wimbledon make sure you check it out it's in the description below but also go onto the channel um and you know what in that semi-final against arena sabalenka she came back from a set and a breakdown but then when it came to the, the big moment, the pressure was too much. She was just overthinking, I think. And she was being a bit too, a bit too error prone. I mean, she 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 wasn't staying in the rallies as much as she would have liked to. She was going for winners a bit too much. And it was a bit, it, w- it was sad to see. But you know what, it's also great on the other hand to see Marquetta finally get a slam. Obviously, she made the Roland Garros 2019 final. And, you know, she was quite young when she made that. And now she's finally getting some, some, you know, redemption for being so young and inexperienced going into that final. She's got a little bit more here, although she was unseeded. Amazing, amazing match from her. Very, she put her foot down and made sure she didn't take it back up. And you know what? It's it's deserving for her. Um, that's the WTA side of things. And that's some of the uh, early round, uh, early round losses or, you know, amazing players that came through that we weren't expecting. Now let's talk about a couple matches that I really found quite interesting on the ATP side later on into the event obviously we had Huber Herkax against uh, Novak Djokovic. I think herkax really could have won that match you know we've seen Hercax be Federer on center court before here at Wimbledon and he had set points both on, on, on both in the first set and in the second set on his serve and he wasn't ma- he wasn't able to close it out then the curfew happened so they had to come back the next day and then he came and he won the third set and lost in the fourth losing in four sets against Djokovic. Obviously, most people would expect that. Even in three sets, you would expect to lose against Djokovic. But Herkak's really had a chance there. And I think going into the US hard court swing, Huber Hercax is going to have to sort of, you know, really try and close matches out a little bit better. You know, we've seen it time and time again that he's got these opportunities in matches where he's got a couple set points here, a couple set points there, maybe in a tie break, maybe not in a tie break. And then, he doesn't play the big points as well as he should play the big points. He's a great server. I mean, one of the best, one of the top three servers on the ATP Tour last year. But you need to close out those big moments, especially if you want to make that next jump into the top five or maybe, you know, into the top ten first again, first of all, and then back into the top five. But you know what? That was a great match. It was really entertaining. But I'm glad Djokovic came through that one because it then eventually, eventually set up the uh, the amazing final of Djokovic against Alcaraz. I mean... I got a lot of hate in the comments from that match, my preview of it, because I said Alcaraz to win that match. And every, I said Alcaraz to win it in four sets, first of all. But in the comments, loads of people were completely shocked, first of all, that I had even mentioned Al. Some people were even saying I was saying Alcaraz's name wrong, Alcaraz. But, it, you know, it's hard for me to say that consistently and, and not make a fool of myself. But Alcaraz, you know, he he played some exceptional tennis but people didn't believe it before coming into the match they just weren't believers of his potential here at Wimbledon and i was i watched his match against the against the Holgerun in person make sure to check out the vlog as i said before link in description but he's just, he's just been playing some great tennis he's been improving such a fast learner and i thought that actually the loss that he sustained at roland garros against novak was actually if he hadn't lost that match against novak at roland garros I don't think he would have won this match potentially. I think that match really showed him how he can, how he should be able to control his mind and how that can affect his body going into such a big magnitude of an event. You know, he was so nervous going into that French open match. He was put so much pressure on himself and then the cramps happened and he wasn't able to compete as well. And then he lost quite easily here. He didn't do that to himself. He knew what to do from that French Open loss, and that really worked for him. That match was incredible from start to finish. I mean, that second set was something else, first of all. And the way that Alcaraz managed to close it out in the end, Djokovic did miss a couple backhand returns at uh, well, 6-5 for set point for him, and then 6 all in the tie break, which was quite unusual from Novak because they were more rally balls than anything else. But... Alcaraz made sure to stay with him the entire way and then in the third set, the momentum went Alcaraz's way. That 27-minute game in the third set, I knew I was watching it and I was like, Alcaraz really needs the break here because if Djokovic would have held that game, he would have made sure that he tried to get back into that set and as soon as Djokovic lost that game, he was like, he clocked out of the set and all of his focus was on the fourth set and in the fourth set, Alcaraz started off incredibly well again, had a couple break points at 2-1, but then Djokovic finally came back into the match and showed us why, obviously, he's a 23-time Grand Slam champion, winning it, winning, uh, holding serve, and then really just running away with that set, playing really well. In the fifth set, I was a bit nervous. I wanted my prediction to be right, obviously, because I want to give you guys the best predictions out there. But I was a bit nervous, and when it was 30, well, one love for Djokovic, 30-40 on Alcaraz's serve, my goodness, it was nerve wracking. It was incredible stuff. I saw, I saw Alcaraz do that little slice and then get the slide, what well, slide and slice to get the ball back. And I was like, in my head, I was like, that's going out, that's going out. Oh wait, it might be going in, it might be going in. And then Djokovic hit the forehand drive volley straight into the net. My goodness. I think that turned the match around and then Alcaraz was just incredible from there onwards. Closing out the match for Alcaraz was also not an easy task and he did it in style. I think he told himself, you know what, we've seen the likes of Roger Federer not being able to close out a match on their surf, even if he had championship points. I need to play my best. I need to go for it. I don't need to overthink this moment. And we saw that he, we saw that he wasn't overthinking the moment in the first two points of that final game. First game. First point, drop shot, misses it. Second point, again, drop shot, but manages to do it. The confidence this kid has is incredible stuff. And now he's a two-time Grand Slam champion going into the US Open as the defending champion, and I'm really excited for it. Speaking of the US Open and the US Hardcore swing, let's talk about a few of the tournaments that are coming up. Obviously, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing a video on the Masters, you know, Montreal and Cincinnati when the time comes. Obviously, they're more towards august time so we still got, uh, t- towards the later end of next month so we still got a little bit of time so let's talk about you know a few tournaments that are coming up we've got uh i believe hamburg coming up on clay 500 obviously last year there we had uh, Alcaraz against mazzetti in the final mazzetti obviously beating Alcraz, mazzetti defending champion obviously playing there again not that many big name players for a 500 plane to be honest and i don't blame them it's always tough after playing you know, on grass and going into the hardcore swing in the US to to go back on clay. Realistically, it's not something that many players want to do. And you know, we're we're seeing obviously Casper Ruud. You're obviously going to see Casper Ruud want to play on clay. Alexander Zverev and you know the likes of Francisco Cerundolo and Sebastian Bayers playing there. So it's going to be quite interesting. It's going to be tough. I think Ruud probably edges it mostly over everyone else. But Francesca Serundolo can definitely get the job done. I mean, we've seen him beat Rude this year on clay already, and he's played well on most surfaces he's played on this year. Um, After that, obviously, we've got Washington, where Nick Kyrgios is going to return. We've got the likes of Murray Medvedev, Felix Ojaliasim, Taylor Fritz um, playing there. And... I think it's going to be good to test the level of the likes of Felix Auger-Aliassime, especially going into that event. And obviously, Nick Kyrgios. Um, Kyrgios, obviously, known for playing some really good tennis in Washington, he will want to show us that he can really, you know, hit the ground running again. He had an amazing 2022 season. His 2023 season has been abysmal. His injuries have really, really, really hurt him this year, and it's unfortunate to see because last year he was incredible. And he will want to, you know, he will want to sort of show everyone, you know, I might have, might have been gone for a while, but I'm back now and you've got to deal with me. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be an important event for Kyrgios. It's going to be an important event for Felix him, Especially Felix might want to, you know, warm up his game and, and get his best tennis out before he heads off to a Toronto and, uh, and plays in front of a home crowd. Um, speaking of Toronto and, you know, then Cincinnati... It's going to be interesting, those tournaments, especially because, you know, we've seen, obviously, Pablo Carreño-Busta, I believe he won Montreal last year. I don't think he's going to be able to defend his title. Big shock this year in Toronto. But it leaves the door open for a lot of players to get some, you know, a a big title under their belts. Obviously, we've seen Hubert Hercak play some good tennis there last year. Carlos Alcaraz will you know, be determined to get some big tournaments under his belt before the US Open, just to get some more ranking points under his belt and extend his lead at number, as number one in the world. But it also won't be, you know, I don't think he might want to put too much pressure on himself and over, you know, overtire his body before such a big event where he's a defending champion. Another interesting question might be, is Novak Djokovic going to play these warm-up events? Is he going to play the Masters 1000s? We know he's at a point in his career where he can just show up to the Grand Slam and play his amazing tennis, and reach the final. I mean, I don't think he needed any warm-up events in clay, and he did terribly in the warm-up events on, on clay, but when he reached the French Open, job done. He was the best. Australian Open didn't need much warm-up. Obviously, it's the start of the season. Job done. Played his best. Wimbledon didn't play any grass court tournaments at all. Job done. Reached the final. Lost to Alcraz on the day. Is he going to play the Masters 1000 in the in the North America swing? I'm not too sure. He probably will, but I don't think he will really care about the results there too, too much. That's not the goal of his career anymore. So it's going to be quite interesting. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for watching or listening to the Tennis Section podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps us grow the Tennis Section community. I'm going to be going to the US Open this year, as I mentioned earlier. Please make sure you subscribe to the channel because I'm going to be doing daily vlogs for the first eight days of the US Open. There's going to be so much content over there and I'm really excited to bring you along for the journey.